Welcome to the podcast on sources of the reign of Robert I and the Anglo-Scottish Wars of Independence, a podcast produced by the Arts and Humanities Research Council-funded project, The Community of the Realm in Scotland, 1249-1424, History, Law and Charters in a Recreated Kingdom. The project team is made up of historians from the Universities of Edinburgh, Glasgow and King's College London and is recorded in the King's online studio at King's College London. Each week we take one of the important sources from the reign of Robert Bruce, King of Scots, from 1306 to 1329 and explain what it is, how it survives and why it matters. I'm Steve Boardman from the University of Edinburgh uh, and this week Alice Taylor, uh, project leader from uh, King's College London, will be taking uh, a look at Radium Magistatum. So Alice, what is this source? That is an excellent question. Um, so Regia Maestatum is essentially it's a law book um, and it's a law book that by the beginning of the 15th century has become ancient law and it tells us how Scottish courts are meant to work um, and what forms of action are held within them. Um, it's mostly civil law but it covers some criminal law as well and you may think this is kind of incredibly boring for a podcast but it's called but it's actually a very very interesting work and it's called Regia Maestatem which means royal majesty because of its first two words it starts by saying royal majesty should not only be decorated with arms against rebels who rise up against it in the realm but it is also fitting that it that is royal majesty should be armed with laws and this is actually a play, or rather it's derived from the opening lines of a very famous law book called Justinian's Institutes, um, which was essentially the kind of go-to guide to Roman law that was written in the 6th century, but then recirculates from the 11th and 12th century onwards. So by calling the text Royal Majesty, um, it's quite clear that whoever's compiling this Scottish law book, Regia Maestatem, is setting it up to be the kind of Scottish version of the Roman law institutes that was, you know, the one of the major law books of the Middle Ages. So quite an ambitious project. Exactly, a very ambitious project. Uh, how does it survive? Um, well, it survives in roughly about 30 manuscripts um, dating from the 14th to the 16th centuries. Most of these manuscripts are in Latin, but probably by the second quarter of the 15th century, there are multiple translations into Scots as well. So that's a, both a Latin um, law book and a vernacular law book, which is interesting because that suggests that people are using it who are working in the vernacular. Um, and indeed, you know, some of our earliest court sessions in Scots survive from the 14th century onwards. Um, what's interesting about all of these manuscripts um, is that they're consciously old law. You know, these aren't books that are containing up-to-date law. They're not, um, not all of them are containing parliamentary legislation, although some do. Um, but they're generally not contemporary. They contain laws of the kings, attributed to the kings of the 12th and 13th, even the 11th century. So their aim is to kind of say, this is what the law of Scotland was, and to use it as an authority about legal practice now. But Regiam itself is actually quite a weird text because quite a lot of it um, is derived, isn't original to the compilation, but it's derived from the English legal tractate known as Glanville. And Glanville was actually, I mean, that's a name that's attached to the text, but Glanville was also a tractate setting out the procedures in the English common law courts in the late 12th century and was 
circulated relatively widely over the 13th and early 14th century, but talked about procedure in English courts. So it's always remained a really odd question as to why this Scottish legal book that seems to have been compiled in the early 14th century should have looked for most of its content to the English common law book, Glamville, when actually by this point, Scottish law and English law are quite different. Mm. And also that even for English law, Glanville is really out of date by this time. So one of the reasons in some way why we don't know that much about Regia Maestatum is because of this real oddity about it, which is why would a law book compiled in the early 14th century have depended so much on an English common law book from the late 12th century? And I suppose that leads naturally onto the question about the uh, question about the context of, of the production and issue uh, of, of Regam. It's a really good question because actually this has been one of the questions that people have always asked about it. You know, when was it written and why? Um, and this is quite a difficult question to answer in the case of Regam because it's doesn't contain any dates, doesn't tell you who wrote it, and it doesn't tell you who what it was written for. So all of those things you have to work out from the text itself. Now, people have been working on this basically for over 400 years, but we generally think now that it is issued, it's, it's written in the reign of Robert I. Um, so it's written at some point between 1306 and 1329. And the reasons why we think this is because it contains some text from parliamentary legislation issued in 1318. But it has to be said, we have no firm evidence that this was so. It just has to have been written by the late 14th century, which is when its earliest manuscript um, survives. And indeed, you know, over the past few centuries of scholarship on Regiam, people have thought that it was, you know, written in the early 12th century, because it actually says that it's the law of David I, who was King of Scots from 1124 to 53 to the mid-13th century, to it actually being composed on the orders of Edward I. I mean, basically, if there's a potential theory about Regiam, we've had it by now. But I think it's fair to say that probably consensus has settled on it being a production of Robert's reign. Partly it's because of the presence of the 1318 legislation in it, but it's also partly because of the aims of the text that you can just about see in the prologue that I mentioned before, this stress on royal majesty. And royal majesty is very interesting as a phrase because what majesty means in this context is literally supreme authority within a given area, supreme legal authority. Um, And if you are a king with majesty, it means you are a king that exercises no um, superior. So this obviously is an argument that has real resonance in the reign of Robert I. And it's also in the 1310s that actually Scottish royal charters for the first time start stressing Robert I's royal majesty and start saying that people can't do anything that will offend the king's majesty. So it's a combination of of what we can see uh, the law book is trying to do for what it's saying about royal authority, added with this business, it's got some legislation of 1318 that makes it pretty confident that we're looking at a compilation of um, the reign of Robert I. But the interesting thing about it is that it's probably not finished at all. So whoever was working um, on it would have probably made something that was much, much more obvious 
um, to us, but now doesn't quite survive and didn't manage to work up Glanville and revise Glanville to make it properly fit a Scottish context. Fascinating. Why is this unfinished work of any significance um, uh, in, in medieval Scotland and, and beyond? And what does, it, what does it actually tell us or what does it say? Um, well, why is it of any significance? Well, it's partly of significance because by the 15th century it has, in a rather shrouded way, become known as the ancient law of the Kingdom of the Scots. So in 1426, it's, it's mentioned in parliamentary legislation as a legal authority, so that we know at some point between its probable compilation in the 1310s to 1426 that at some point in this century, Regiam has become a legal authority, which means people read it and say to, to answer questions on what the law should be. But it's significant um, at its time because it seems to have been part of an abortive attempt to kind of make the debates that were going on about the royal authority in the Kingdom of the Scots to fit those debates into a much wider conversation that was going on throughout Europe about what royal authority was, what was the relationship between kings and the Roman emperor, um, who at this point um, is also the king of Germany, um, and did kings have the right to make law and did they exercise supreme jurisdiction in their kingdoms or did popes or emperors also exercise superior jurisdiction? And these are ideas that have kind of been circulating really since the mid-15th century, but they blow up in various parts of Europe at the end of the 13th century and the beginning of the 14th century. And actually in the great cause in Scotland, which was the kind of competition for the kingship, um, which was the competition that John Balliol eventually won judicially, that John Balliol actually shows that he's, he's aware of these debates because he says things like that even kings who do homage to emperors meaning himself and Edward I, have the right to make law in their own kingdom. So these are ideas that are circulating even for the decades before the Bruce kingship. But that Regiam is inserting itself into these conversations by saying, no, here's what the law in our court should be, and that the Scottish king is a king who exercises maestas and is the supreme jurisdictional and legal power in his kingdom. Now, the fact that he didn't, whoever was compiling it, who was somebody who knew Roman and canon law very, very, very well, as well as Scottish common law, didn't finish, is probably actually one of like the greatest, well, actually, let's not go too far, but is a real shame because it seems like it would have been something that was you know, really quite exceptional in terms of its creativity and how it was presenting the law. Um, but what it actually says is that it kind of goes on and it starts by saying these are the pleas that run in the king's court um, and this is how they run. So it's actually quite mundane matters. So it would have been this kind of procedural manual, but actually couched in a framework that is absolutely stressing Ro Robert's royal superiority. So incredibly clever piece of work. Uh, and for those who may want to uh, uh, look at the uh, Regium for themselves, where, where would they be able to find it? Well, that is also an excellent question. Um, as part of the project on the community of the realm in Scotland, um, we are doing an edition and translation by John Reuben Davies of the earliest known version of Regium, because currently we don't have an edition or translation of that text. Um, but that won't be out until 2021 at the earliest, so do watch this space. Um, well, not this literal space, but a space. Um, but until then, there's a translation of a slightly later version um, by Lord Cooper um, in the Stair Society, Volume 11, which was published in 1947, but you can still access it under the title of Regia Maestatem and Quonium Attachimenta. 
Thank you very much, Alice. Um, if you've liked this podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcast. Uh, follow the project on Twitter. Uh, that's at uh, Cotr 2020, C-O-T-R 2020. And visit our website online at www.cotr.ac.uk.